Hello again. Uh, I would encourage you now to take your Bibles and join me in Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah 54, as we continue uh, to really think about uh, what God is doing, not only in the midst of this generation, not only in and through these prophecies, but really how these promises apply broadly to us as God's people here in the present, and particularly here in Isaiah 54 for all that this means for our future uh, with God as his people. Uh, Here in Isaiah 54, uh, before we read this text of Scripture, I I am going to taxi down the runway a little bit, uh, so I appreciate your grace and and patience uh, in that. Uh, But before we even think about what God has for us in this passage, I want to take just a moment to thank uh, the elders of this church and to thank you, the congregation of this church, uh, for the privilege that Rachel and I will have for enjoying a sabbatical. Uh, here in uh, the months of May, June, and July, and half of August. Um, next Sunday will be our last Sunday with you for quite a while, and uh, it is hard to believe that over the last decade um, we've had the privilege of living in your midst, uh, experiencing love from so many of you, and uh, walking down so many roads in rejoicing and grieving and in the faithfulness of God together. So thank you. Uh, thank you. Here in Isaiah 54, uh, we're going to see some, some really interesting turns, if you will. Uh, some, some great and precious promises. Uh, some, actually, some unbelievable information in the truest sense. So even before I read this information, I, I want us to remember something very important. The work of the servant of the Lord. The work that has really been mentioned several times throughout this middle section of Isaiah the atoning work of the servant, the sacrificial, justifying work of Jesus Christ, as it is explained in Isaiah 53. It makes a huge difference. It makes a miraculous difference. In fact, we could say, without overstating it one bit, that Jesus Christ actually makes all the difference. As we've continued through this series, we've seen time and time again that that God is describing for the people of Israel a future that will be theirs beyond the exile that they will experience in Babylon. So these promises, they, they are to God's old covenant people. They are about returning to the promised land. But but the promises have a much broader meaning and application, as I think we'll see again this morning. The people, yes, they have been disobedient. They have been rebellious, they have been sinful, but God does something about that sin, and he remains faithfully committed to them and to their future. Here in Isaiah 54, even again before I read, I want us to understand that what God is saying here, this is not about a return to the good old days of Israel's history. This is about a future that that exceeds expectations about something more, something better than they or we have ever experienced. So with all that in mind, I would invite you now to join me again in Isaiah 54. I'm going to read the entire chapter for us today. We're really going to focus our attention on verses 9 through 14. As I read, remember, this is God's word for you and for me, and it has been given, preserved for our eternal good and the glory of our God. Isaiah 54, sing, O barren one who did not bear, 
Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will not, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established, You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, And you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who illuminates that word and brings conviction and change to our hearts. Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that even now he is high and lifted up, and that in a day coming he will return and right all wrongs, and every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord. May we see him, may we see you, our great Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning as we consider really this middle portion of Isaiah 54, I want to begin with a question. What does home mean to you? In fact, if you need to, take a moment, close your eyes, and think about home. What what do you see in your mind's eye? Who is there with you? 
Where's it located? What do you smell? What do you taste? For some of us, the idea, the thought of home may be comforting, welcoming, inviting. For some of us, because of our experiences growing up, home may be a very scary place. A place that was full of abuse and abandonment, confusion, violence. Here in Isaiah chapter 54, we're going to be talking a lot about home. And the reality that no matter what we experienced growing up, no matter what we felt, no matter what we knew, no matter what you pictured when you closed your eyes, Home is something we still desperately want. We want to be known. We want to be welcomed. We want to rest. We want to be satisfied and comforted. Here in Isaiah 54, the Lord says that He is going to bring us home as His people. So this morning, we are going to talk about the reality of the rest and peace and hope and comfort and joy that should be ours as God's people in this day and in every day to come and in every single day of eternity. We're going to follow a simple three-point outline as we look at this text together. First, we'll discuss the certainty of home. That our home in and through Jesus Christ is a reality. We'll also talk about the majesty of home. That the home described for us here in Isaiah 54 and in so much of Scripture is beyond our expectations. Lastly, we'll talk about the safety or security of home. That that home is a lasting place where terror and fear will no longer exist. First, let's look at the certainty of home in verses 9 and 10. I think it's important as we really begin to look in earnest at this passage that we recognize that the certainty of home, that the reality of this place is not tied to our circumstances in any way, shape, or form. Why would I say that? Well, because God says that these days will be like the days of Noah to me. Remember what Noah and his family experienced. In God's wisdom, in God's grace, in God's mercy, eight people were saved in the midst of a cataclysmic worldwide judgment. I'll often joke with our youth as we work our way through Genesis that very few, if any, children's books actually accurately capture the horrors of the flood. Typically, we see a boat of smiling people and smiling animals. How they smile, I don't know. Floating above the waters in the sunshine. I think we do well to remember that dead bodies do something. They float. What Noah and his family would have witnessed would have been a horror beyond horrors. As the wrath of God was poured out upon the disobedience of mankind. So certainly, that the home-iness of Isaiah 54 cannot be in the judgment like that experienced during the days of Noah. No, no. It is in the promise of God. A promise that God is making here to His people that is like unto that promise made to Noah. So the circumstances of the past do not define home. Neither do the circumstances of the future. That's what 
is meant in verse 10, when God says that the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. God tells us in the Psalms and in the book of Revelation that there is coming a day when the earth itself will melt. (laughs) Nor do we find the certainty of home in our present circumstances. Because at the beginning of verse 11, we're described as afflicted, storm-tossed, and not comforted. So if we look at these circumstances from the past, the future, and even into our present, we, we do well to ask the question, well, how can we have a certain home? If all around us, if in every season of life, if in every era of human history, we know confusion and turmoil and affliction and strife and storms, how can our home be certain? Because of God's promise because of God's character, because of God's person. Again, in verse 9, God says, yes, these will be like the days of Noah. But remember something. In those moments, (laughs) though the water covered the earth, it did not cover the people of God. He swore in those days that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. Once the judgment had been poured out, what happened? New life began. Under the full promise of God's peace represented in a rainbow. We go on in this passage and we see that God says, yes, in the future the mountains may depart, the hills may be removed, but what? But my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord. We've exhausted this throughout this series, but the Lord, that name means covenant maker, covenant keeper, reliable one, faithful one. And what is the Lord's feeling toward His people? That He will have compassion on them. Now, we do well again, to ask, how is this possible? Because we know, in and of ourselves, (laughs) we deserve judgment. So how, how can the Lord now look at a people who have been disobedient for generations, a people very much like us, who sin in thought and word and deed and in the context of their relationships, how can God now say, my steadfast love, it's not going to depart My covenant, my everlasting, unbreakable promise of peace. Peace shall not be removed. I will have compassion on you. That's why we need to remember Isaiah 53. These are realities. Love and peace and compassion. Because the work has been completed by the servant The covenant promise of wrath has been satisfied in and through the work of Jesus. As we continue to think about what's really being promised here, I want us to recognize that initially in this passage in verses 9 and 10, home is not described for us as a place. Home is not described as an experience. Home is not described in terms of possession. 
Home is described in the context of relationship. You see, if you've seen the, the, one of the newer Marvel movies, Thor Ragnarok, then you'll know, spoiler alert, Asgard, their home, is destroyed at the end of the movie. But there's something very interesting that, that's said in the context of that destruction. That Asgard is not a place. It is a people. As we think about our present and our future, I want us to come to understand that, that our home today and in eternity is not primarily, not exclusively, even not ultimately a place. Our home is a person. Home is ultimately represented and given to us in our renewed relationship with the Lord God Almighty who has created us and redeemed us, who sustains us, who desires and who can, through the finished work of Jesus, actually walk with us again. Think about the great promise in the book of Revelation. What is it? I will be your God. You will be my people. It is the renewal, the redemption of unending relationship with God. So even as we think about the certainty of home, the reality of home, and how that home is represented to us in God himself, how do we apply this to our lives? Well, first, I think we should be encouraged to recognize that God loves us, and he is eternally committed to us. You might say, well, Matthew, I've heard that almost every day of my life, particularly in the context of the church. So how is that any particular encouragement? Because we forget it. In the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the destruction, in the midst of all the confusion and the terror that we experience in daily life, we actually forget that God loves us, that His steadfast love will not be removed, that His covenant of peace is eternally upon us in Jesus Christ, and that He actually looks at us, He turns toward us in compassion. It is essential for us to remember this, and that the future that we will enjoy is one of welcome and belonging and love. We should rejoice in knowing that redemption, that restoration, that real humanity will be ours in Jesus. I hope that it also gives us confidence here in Isaiah 54. Confidence in knowing that even in the midst of our horrific, terrifying circumstances that are, yes, far beyond our control, God is present, and He is pursuing the fulfillment of His promises to us in Christ. So that's the certainty of home. Second, we need to look at the majesty of home. In verse 11, again, God looks at those who are weary, those who are worn, those who are desolate. And he says, O afflicted one. Let me stop right there before I read anything else. I don't know what you're experiencing this morning. I don't know what this week has looked like. I don't know what this season of life has looked like for you. But if you are beaten down, if you are weary, if you are exhausted, 
If you feel like God is far away, I want you to listen to what is being said specifically in verse 11. Because he is talking right to you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted. Behold! That word is meant to get our attention. God's promising to do something. What is it? I'll set your stones in antimony. Lay your foundations with sapphires. Make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your walls of precious stones. It's here in verse 11 that God begins to describe home now in terms of an actual place. Yes, ultimately, he brings us home to himself. Home in relationship. Home in belonging. Home in welcome. But it gets even better. Because Jesus Christ tells us, does he not, that he goes to prepare what? A place for us. A home for us. And what is this place like? (laughs) Okay, full disclosure. I love being outside. If you opened my, my dresser drawers or my closet, almost everything is brown, green, or blue. Earth tones, all about it. I remember reading in the book of Revelation and here in Isaiah 54 and thinking, this is the tackiest place I have ever heard of in my entire life. But then what is the the picture? What is God trying to describe? He is saying to us as his people that this home, this place, this dwelling is more marvelous, more wonderful, more costly, more amazing than anything we can even begin to picture or imagine. I mean, really, slow down and look at this passage. Every single part of this city is made from gems or precious stones. Did you catch that as I read? What, what, what do we know about the foundations? They're sapphires. So the foundation of the city, precious stones. And then it says, the, the pinnacles of agate, the gates of carbuncles. So the highest places, precious stones. The very gates of the city, precious stones. The walls, precious stones. Every single place that we look in this city, there is wonder and majesty and glory and beauty. No aspect has been forgotten. There's a connection, a direct connection to Revelation 21. The new Jerusalem is described in very similar fashion. So here in Isaiah 54, God is actually running straight to the end of the story. Putting our focus directly, not just on a renewed Jerusalem, but the new Jerusalem. That place where he will dwell with us. The majesty of this home, (laughs) this means that, that God intends to bring us to a place that exceeds every expectation, in every imaginable way. As we try to illustrate this, as we really think about it, I I want you to kind of consider in your own mind, if you will, maybe the glimpses, the glimpses of this that you have tasted through the years of your life, even in a fallen world. It might be a particular vacation that you've taken with family. As you've enjoyed a, a warm breeze, and the soothing sounds of the ocean. It might be a particular meal that you've enjoyed with family or friends. 
For me, that would be cube steak and gravy with biscuits and mashed potatoes with gravy. (laughs) It, It might be a time where you have worshiped in the presence of God's people. Maybe with so many that you can't even hear yourself singing, though you know words are coming out of your mouth. It might be in the joy of a new relationship. Let me tell you, for those of you who are engaged, that's going to be a great day. I'll never forget when Rachel walked out the back door of her house. We got married in her backyard. And she rounded the corner. Let me tell you. Many times when we'll take our, our students to summer camp, now, let me tell you, Laguna Beach Christian Retreat Center, it is paradise on earth. They call it the promised land. It's rough. However, <laughs> when you cram 1,300 people into the promised land, that's literally what they call their place of worship, the promised land. And we are singing and rejoicing and remembering the promises of God. You taste it. You see it. You want it. You know it. And God says he's going to give it to you and to me and to all those who have been brought to himself by Jesus Christ. Forever. Unending. Every place. Every experience. Every moment. Forever. This is a majestic, unbelievable, marvelous place. So what do we do with that? We hold on to that by God's grace. We hope in that by God's grace. And we stop trying to find that permanently in the things of this world. Because that leads us only to idolatry. Only away from the very best that God has for us in the world to come. So our home is certain in the Lord. Our home is majestic because of the work of the Lord. And lastly, our home is safe. The safety of home. We see this in verses 12 through 14. As he continues to describe this city, the majesty, the the, the finality of it, it's a city with gates and walls. It's a place where the people can dwell secure. But but, But then we begin to understand... That the real majesty of the city here, it's not external in all of the the beauty and power and, and glory of the buildings. The real majesty of the city is the internal blessing that we enjoy as God's people. It says in verse 13 that all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. Do you know what you lose sight of when you're in the midst of horrific circumstances? The future. Hope. Why is this a big deal when God says, your children will be there? Because the people in Babylon... So often we, in the midst of our storms and trials, we cannot see a future. We cannot see a hope. And what's so interesting, this is why I read the whole chapter. These children are here (laughs) against the experiences and expectations of the people. Why would I say that? What does verse 1 say? Sing, O barren one. Where did these children even come from? We don't know. (laughs) 
And yet God has populated this city with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Those who have been influenced in the gospel, those who have been won by Jesus Christ. There's life here, abundant life, future life. There is hope and there is righteousness. One commentator says that ultimately the servant of God, who yes, has given his life in the place of his people, he has not just created freedom before the righteousness of God, he has created a family, a family of God. So there's safety, even for children. There's also safety in terms of sin, its presence, and its power. Why would I say that? Look at verse 14. In righteousness, you have been established. Again, because Jesus has taken the full wrath of God, because the servant has actually accomplished the work of salvation, Because forgiveness is not just a possibility, but an actual reality in Jesus. The Lord in this heavenly city, in this place, in relationship with His people, He looks at them and He says, You are righteous. You are mine. You are perfect in my sight. Finally, in verse 14, we see, That there is safety for children, there is a future and a hope, there is righteousness that we possess as God's people. And as a result, we will be far from oppression and from terror. Those terms are important because oppression means that there's not going to be anything external. There's nothing from the outside that can threaten the peace of the city. No attack lobbied against the city will stand. But terror means that there's nothing internal that can cause the city to fall either. This, quite literally, (laughs) is our happily ever after. We want it. Our fairy tales and great stories speak to it, but we know it's elusive and impossible to find. Not with God. There is coming a day When at the last trumpet, on the last day, Jesus Christ will return in power and in glory at the command of all the armies of God, and He will make all things right forever. He will gather His people from all times and places. He will raise the dead from the grave. And we will be forever with the Lord. And no terror, no oppression will ever beset us. Graham Goldsworthy, in his work, Gospel and Kingdom, says this. That ultimately the kingdom of God, as it's described in Scripture, is God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's the picture that we're given here in Isaiah 54. That together we as God's people, righteous through the work of Christ, In God's place, majestic and satisfying, comforting beyond measure and imagination. We'll live under God's rule and that we shall not fear. So what do we do with this? (laughs) 
Can I encourage you to pray that God, by His Spirit, would in many ways allow the certainty, the majesty, the security of your and my future home to actually wash over our present. To actually color our present. To command our present circumstances. And that to recognize that even, yes, in the midst of anger, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of every single thing that we see about our own lives, our own hearts, and our own world that is not right, God through Jesus Christ is making it right. And that even today, we can know the home of His presence. Even today, we can trust and the home that He is preparing for us. And even today, we can rest secure, knowing that in Jesus Christ, every promise of God is yes and amen. Ultimately, God is going to bring us home. Home to Himself. Home to blessing. And home to peace. Home forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look into these promises. We think about the words that we've just read and rehearsed together. God, it just feels too good to be true. So often we, we're filled with doubts and fears. The daily circumstances of this life, it's just too much. God, remind us <laughs> that your purposes are unchangeable. Your promises are unbreakable. King Jesus is unbeatable. God, remind us that those longings of our heart for satisfaction and contentment are actually God-given meant to point us to the promises of the gospel, meant to point us ultimately to you. God, lead us home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.